0: It's so much fun. Hey everybody, welcome into Show Notes 99. It's nice to be actually in your presence. I I feel like it's been forever.
1: I don't think I've seen you in a month. Has it been that long? I think so. That's
0: right. I was on vacation, then you were Um in a remote location, undisclosed, with 101.
1: That was Yeah, I don't even know. I haven't been home. Not only have I not been here, I haven't been in my apartment in like maybe collectively six days in the last month, and I'm miserable.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, you got to nest. You got to settle and nest. It's really bad. Yeah, it's bad.
1: I was supposed to go to a festival this weekend, and I pulled the plug. I said, guys, let's not do it. I can't do it.
0: Uh, Not only that, but uh, as I mentioned, because I was out for the last show notes that you and Manny did and at the end of uh, the last episode of the Bidenomics episode you weren't here because as I mentioned to the unfuckers in our daily lives you are extraordinarily busy it happens to be a ridiculous time which kind of blows because it's summer to have this much just stuff but it it is what it is because of the way that our business works and the timing of it but we work in
1: the back to school industry
0: yeah yeah uh, but 99's just been inundated with with work. And we've had a, you know, it's been tough to kind of catch up. So lovely to be in your presence and in your space. You as well. Thank you. So just digging into business here. First, I want to just say a thank you to the, to the unfuckers who answered the call in the unfuckers at all Facebook group. So if you're not part of that Facebook group, by the way, we have just over 800 members. We're looking to get up to 1,000. Sooner than later, it's sort of our inside conversation. It's curated by the great Bob Knutson of Wisco, all hail Nettie, and uh, a couple of other players who've really stepped up to help manage that group. There's, uh, I know Dan's been doing a lot in there. There's a couple Dan's actually that do a lot of work in there. Bobby McDee's very present.
1: I we- need everyone to get different. Everyone needs a different name, like.
0: We have a lot of like duplicates. Like social
1: security numbers.
0: <laughs> oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. And, well, and bank accounts be, and routing numbers would be helpful, too. But these can be, too.
1: like, public-facing social security numbers, so I can track everyone.
0: Yeah. Because just We realized do mix them up, we right? Have we got two Elenas. Yeah.
1: I'm sorry to Elena S, both of you. Two
0: Nathans, so two Dan's.
1: Yeah. We had three Nathans for a while.
0: We did. That's right. What did yeah. you call the third one?
1: Well, we had Nathan Sears, Nathan <laughs> Second, and Nathan E. All right. different people. Right.
0: Yeah. Well, in the Unfuckers at All Facebook group, I asked a little favor. So it turns out that, you know, the Carter series that we had done on the pod, I've I've been kind of going through our back catalog and trying to update things that I think are kind of important to the story of UNFTR and then commit them to uh, YouTube. So it was interesting because we've been getting some traction on YouTube. We're up to almost 4,000, maybe above 4,000 at this point, uh, subscribers. It's a steady grind. I think having these phone friends are, are certainly helping us sort of branch out and, and get the name out. Unfuckers have been mission critical in helping us get monetized on YouTube and all of those kind of things. But I've been trying to work through this back catalog, and I noticed that the episodes on Jimmy Carter, nobody was interested in. Now, at first, I was like, that's fair. You know, it's been a long time. Jimmy Carter only there for four years. Most people have a dim view of him as the president. And it's not exactly a, a timely and topical piece of news, except for the fact, of course, that, uh, you know, he is in hospice and you know he's still an important public figure. He's the oldest, you know, living president. So, at any rate, uh, I noticed that the numbers were like seriously suppressed. So then I decided to try and boost one of the videos. There's a couple of ways that you can do that because that's the easier way for a small creator like me to actually get some feedback. And the feedback that I got was that it was actually suppressed and we weren't even allowed to boost it because it was deemed to be... Offensive and controversial because we talked about – I mean it's it's the Carter years. We have to talk about the Camp David Accords and it was a huge piece of, of what was happening. So because we even mentioned Israel in the – and you know that it was a pretty just historical piece. Because we mentioned Israel, uh, the, the video was suppressed algorithmically and we weren't allowed to boost it. So I asked a favor of the unfuckers to go in and just leave some comments in it, watch the video, try to give us some feedback on it so we can kind of unstick the algorithm a little bit. And it worked and and the numbers are starting to rise. And I I really appreciate that. But it also taught me a, a real lesson that the YouTube challenge is going to be a lot harder than I thought it was to talk about some of the issues that we really want to talk about.
1: What do like Israeli news outlets do? Do they just get suppressed for reporting on their own
0: I know Country? that it's pretty well established that a lot of the a lot of the outlets that are critical of Israel have a hard time getting their their message out, and that's and that's fine. And I don't expect anybody to accept my money to be able to boost it. I mean, I think I put a it was like a hundred dollar campaign behind just trying to see if I could unstick it, and they wouldn't even accept that money. And you know, but I think that the the public media organizations the mainstream media organizations if they do talk about it are going to get some play because it's sort of like you're verified or not verified as an independent creator there's no way that i'm going to be able to break through the noise and and have something you know get picked up but yeah we have enough other stuff and of course the podcast is our main forum so i'm not as concerned about it but it's just you know it's eye-opening to be able to see it makes you question what information really is out there what's the credibility of it and you know who is being suppressed Anyway, just a big thank you to the Unfuckers at All Facebook group. If you are not a member of that group and you want to get in on the inside conversation on Facebook, you can search Unfuckers with the asterisks in it. So U-N-F-Asterisk-C-K-E-R-S at all E-T space A-L E-T-A-L, and um, and join the group if Bob Knudsen lets you in, of course. Also, we had a bunch of new subscribers to the newsletter, so I wanted to thank people for that. It's part of our ongoing effort to fill out our, our offerings and inform the community. If you sign up for the newsletter, what you get every week is headlines that a lot of which we go through on show notes and then hopefully a couple more by the time the newsletter rolls around. Something called Max Notes, which is basically just my take on on my stupid take on a lot of different things. A new feature called Chart of the Week. Chart of the week. Chart and uh, not shark. Chart of the week. Oh,
1: I didn't say shark. Would you say shark?
0: Chart. Uh,
1: did you miss me? <laughs> uh,
0: I did miss you. My favorite. I, I. It's actually the only shark call out that I know of is Philip Seymour Hoffman. Did you ever see that movie? He,
1: when he's, sharks attack.
0: Where he he turns to his friend at a party. He's like, "We have to go. I just sharted." It's the very first time that I ever heard that word, but it's so goddamn fun. <laughs> the
1: Hunger Games no what
0: happened to you But Ruben I'm in a situation here we have to leave now well no can we stay a couple more minutes but dude no this is serious I just sharded. I don't know what that means I tried to fart and a little shit came out oh. I just sharted right now let's go you're the most disgusting person I've ever met in my life no I don't think it was in the Hunger Games he was
1: in that right did you, I just make that up do
0: you know I've never seen it
1: uh that makes sense to me that tracks yeah it's okay. not like as phenomenal as Harry Potter fair you know, yeah. which you also probably haven't really seen.
0: <laughs> oh, I've seen a couple of them Yeah,
1: like that I didn't really
0: dive in, you know, because my kids just didn't give a shit. Mm. I tried to get them into it and they didn't care. So I, I didn't go along dozen. for the ride. Yeah. Anyway, so chart of the week, chart I'm the trying week. to get more uh economic data into the economic mix duty. because we love economic duty and charting. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, the unfucker comment of the week. Is uh, what rounds out the newsletter. And then we have descriptions of what's going on on YouTube just to kind of keep everybody informed and all the different things that we do. Uh, And if there's ever going to be discounts for coffee, which we do periodically throughout the year, or we're running any specials on merch, that's where you'll find the discount codes as well. So if you're interested in signing up for the newsletter, make sure to go to unftr.com slash blog and you'll find all the information that you need there. I'm also, by the way, collecting suggestions. I mentioned this in uh, the post show musings for Bidenomics to suggestions for phone a friend appearances so we're working on a couple of guests that we're really excited about and uh, now we're starting to get some really good suggestions rolling in so keep them rolling in i'm creating i have a a list going on the side and if uh, you know whoever kind of rises to the top with multiple submissions i'm going to put a little poll on the facebook at all group and uh we'll you know try to reach out to those people and say hey it's not us it's the unfuckers they want to hear from you so let's go And uh, and listen, as summer draws to a close, one thing that will keep heating up other than the planet is coffee consumption. All right. It's almost coffee season. So make sure to stock up on our delicious blends of native roasted coffee at UNFTR.com. Amy and Big Mama are waiting out on the reservation for your orders. So let's make it happen now. As we get into this, uh, I do want to call out one quick thing because unfucker Glen S, who just also happened to upgrade to an overcaffeinated membership, so thank you Glen S for doing that. Uh, shared something that I saw was also shared by Bow of the Fifth Column, and it's uh, a Billy Bragg song, a brand new song in response to the rich men. North of Richmond song, which has been obviously in in the news because it was part, it was actually a whole fucking question at the Republican debate. Uh, And then the singer of it came out. Do you know his name offhand? I can't remember his name offhand. I'm blanking.
1: I... I have to tell you, I have no idea what you're talking about. Oh, for real? I've been. Fun, fun. I know little, you've been out. Like, really genuinely off the grid. That's. In a bad way, where I'm like, I don't know what's happening in the world.
0: Okay, so there's a country singer who wrote a song called Rich Men North of Richmond.
1: This is unrelated to the Not in My Small Town. This is Co- a, totally a unrelated debacle.
0: And at the Republican debate, Brett, uh, what is the guy's Brett name? Favre. Brett Favre. Brett Favre asked the panelists to respond to. That song about, you know, basically rich men running the country. And it's an allusion to, uh, you know, the Beltway and people in Washington, D.C. And the Republicans took it as sort of this clarion call for conservatism and blah, blah, blah. And we have to get there. And this singer came out on social media like the next day. He was like, no, 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 I was writing it about all of you. Please don't use my song oh, in cool. that context. Oh, so
1: is a we like this person. I yeah, thought this so it was a, like a controversy. No,
0: no, no. It was a good story. And, and he said, Oliver I'm Anthony. not a conservative. Don't paint me as a conservative. I'm talking about all of you. I'm talking about anybody in the establishment, Republican, Democrat or whatever. But please don't paint me as a conservative.
1: OK. I've uh, seen this guy's face in memes. So now I get it. <laughs>
0: OK. So I thought that, you know, obviously a lot of people thought that was super cool. And, you know, also you have Eminem who sent the cease and desist to... Uh, Ramas Marmi for using, uh, you know, one of his songs in, in his walk up music, whatever.
1: He was rapping it. It wasn't even that. Yeah. yeah. He, had a, he had a rap name in college.
0: Of course he did.
1: I listened to a, What's Next, did a, like, a What's Going On with Him and Where'd He Come From. Uh, it was pretty good. I didn't like that. But yeah, so they played a clip of him. Not going to say he's not a terrible, he, he has some flow.
0: Uh, okay. Um, a little bit of flow. This is the same Ramas Marmi that went. Uh, on a full ride to law school on a Soros Foundation
1: oh, grant. That, they did not cover that. They didn't cover that. Interesting. Funny, right? Why didn't they cover That should have been like top billing. Yeah.
0: No, this guy's uh, I rich. I
1: want everyone to listen to him because his voice sounds AI generated.
0: How about the fact that uh, the drug that he got rich on doesn't work and Wait, wound up failing all the trials? this
1: also wasn't in the, the podcast. Hmm. What the fuck? That's why we come here. Okay, never mind. Fuck you, Slate. Just kidding. <laughs>
0: That's why we come Just here. Just kidding. <laughs> learn Slate, all these things. we
1: still like you. I'm sure we'll partner with you, maybe. Where's your money come from? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Is Vivek f- funding you? So
0: Bo, the fifth column, and Unfucker Glenn S. both shared Billy Bragg's response to Richmond North of Richmond, and it's very cool because it, and, and, and I highlighted it because it ties into What's coming up in our fifth installment of the never-ending socialism series talking about unions. So Billy Bragg wrote another union song that was basically saying like listen, if you're a worker and you want to unite to take on the establishment, join a union. and uh, it's just cool. Billy Bragg's fucking awesome and it was just neat to see that that gets some some kind of uh, you know support there. so
1: I'm gonna unionize.
0: yeah, good yeah. good luck. Just me. okay. What will you call it?
1: ninety nine sisterhood. Well, I don't want to be exclusive. The union sisterhood.
0: Uh, Because
1: if I have someone who doesn't identify as a female or is a man. Yeah,
0: but if you're starting it and everybody who comes into it will be, you'll be their sister.
1: Yeah. You know what I was thinking of? There isn't a sister equivalent of brethren. Hmm. Uh, So, whatever. Okay, okay. Sistrin. Sistrin. Slytherin?
0: Back to Harry Potter? Yeah. See what I did? The Slytherin I did it. Union. I made a Harry Potter reference. I'm
1: proud of you. Yay. I'm a Gryffindor.
0: I am a, what's the? I think
1: you're a Ravenclaw. Yes,
0: I'm, I'm a Ravenclaw. Yeah. Does that make me a good person?
1: Yeah, you're smart. Thanks. You're only a quote unquote bad person if you're in Slytherin, but it's not really fair because it's basically like, it's a, a self-fulfilling prophecy. Mm. It's like, you're going to be bad, so we put you in the bad house. It's like, obviously I'm not going to be good now. Right. But then, in the cursed child, which is the the sequel, which is terrible, but it's technically canon. Harry's son gets put into Slytherin, and it's like, whoa! Oh, so he's wow. like breaking the stigma.
0: Um, I feel like we had more Ravenclaws than anything else. I felt like we were the majority the last time we we actually did that.
1: Yeah, I think so. But then when she became a turf, we stopped <laughs> making it. We stopped a doing pr- that a whole A thing. prerequisite. Mm-hmm. For or a fun activity, because it's like, yeah. hmm, let's not celebrate the turf. Yeah. But we can still read the source material, I think, question mark.
0: I love that you use the word canon. That's one of my faves. So we're coming up on our penultimate episode in the socialism series. I know you're sad that uh, you can actually see the finish line because everybody is just so, so uh, impatiently waiting for <laughs> the series to come out. But I promise there's a, there's a payoff in all of this. So the next one is going to cover the all-important years between 1870 and the October Revolution in Russia in 1917. We're going to crisscross the world to incorporate the development of the Socialist Party in the United States, so bringing it a little closer to home. And it's going to be centered around the larger-than-life figure of Eugene Debs, among others. And then the last installment in the series will come out a couple weeks later, and it's going to be more of a think piece reviewing the lessons that I kind of took from putting the entire series together drawing some conclusions and, and you know, tying it together to the current state of affairs. I'm also going to touch on some other socialist style movements around the world in no particular order and draw some conclusions about the practical aspects of socialist theory in the world today and kind of how we should think about it in the progressive movements in the United States in particular. So that's what's coming up on the immediate horizon. Uh, but uh, let's kick things off today with some headlines.
1: My My roommate just texted me. And said, is Marcus, as in from last podcast, a socialist? As you were talking about socialism. Isn't Mm. that spoopy?
0: That is spoopy.
1: Yeah. Mm. Marcus, are you a socialist?
0: You would know. Wouldn't you know that?
1: I'm assuming he is. Yeah? Ben is a former libertarian. Henry's a Satanist. That's his... Fun. Yeah. But sort of like half... Like, he's like... You know, there's like the fun Satanism one, and then Mm -hmm. there's one that's like very serious. He's like the fun one. Oh, good. Yeah. So then Marcus... Good. You know, I think I think it's he'd like be a I'm a socialist.
0: I'm a fun agnostic. Agnostic. Yay. Yay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. OK. Sorry. Headlines.
0: <laughs> Headlines. Well, uh, let's start off with some fun stuff and talk about uh, Saudi border killings. Yay.
1: So the Yay. first headline
0: <laughs> is from Human Rights Watch. Now, this is interesting. And uh, we'll give some more color and detail in the newsletter when we send it out at the end of this week. But uh, essentially, Joe Biden's having a tough time figuring out. How to approach Saudi Arabia here? Figuring out, (laughs) Figuring out anything. We're at this weird point. So you have Saudi Arabia aligning with China in the recent uh, BRICS conference, which we'll talk about in a second. Of course, you have them thumbing their nose at any of our uh, insistences, you know, tongue in cheek, that they pay attention to human rights. The fact that we didn't do anything about uh, Khashoggi's murder inside the palace Uh, The fact that they have just known for human rights abuses. Biden, like Trump, like Obama, like everybody before, continues to deal with them uh, and and allow us to sell arms to them. So they are armed to the teeth with all of our, our militancy. And of course, they are our proxy fighter in the Middle East, you know, doing our nefarious dirty dealings, you know, like the war in Yemen and stuff like that. So you have Biden as a continuation of all this. And yet Saudi Arabia is sort of like giving Biden the middle finger at every step. And one of the things that Human Rights Watch just uncovered is that, you know, Saudi Arabia has been inundated with migrants, just like most other countries in in the world at this point because we're—and we're, we're going to see more and more of this as the climate crisis deepens. But Ethiopian migrants have been crossing into Saudi Arabia for many, many years. And apparently, Saudi Arabia has had just about enough of it. And so they've just been stone-cold murdering women, children, families crossing the border into Saudi Arabia from Ethiopia. And Human Rights Watch uh, just found this out and also found out that the United States has known about this for about a year and, A, didn't say anything, continued to negotiate with them and deal arms to them and didn't bring it up as any sort of human rights violation. And you're really not going to find this spoken about anywhere in the establishment media. And this information has been out there for a little while. So we have a link to that. On top of that, since we're talking about uh, how Saudi Arabia is forging new alliances, And the next article is from the World Socialist website. Now, this one is interesting because there's a lot of takes out there on this, on the recent BRICS gathering. So the traditional acronym stands for Brazil, Russia, India, China, and then the S was added on with South America. And by South America, he means South Africa. So talk about a wonderful alliance of nations that get together much like you see the G7 or any other economic alliance this was the economic alliance of among you know major industrial nations putting together sort of their own alliances against the you know formidable G7 so what's interesting about this is there's so much hysteria around this and the hysteria kind of centers on this one quirk which is the talk about coming off the dollar as the world's reserve currency, essentially the currency that all international transactions are settled in. Uh, So this article does a good job of talking about, like, kind of the fear-mongering around it and how people are feeling about it. Uh, But we add a little context to it uh, that you'll see in the newsletter about how that's really not going to happen. And even if it did happen, that shouldn't be a fear of ours. There's much ado about nothing when it comes to the dollar and its place in the world. It's so far down on the list of things that we have to worry about in terms of it, it being the world's reserve currency, but also the fact that if you think about who they're trying to add to the mix here, the BRICS block was talking about or has just formally added Argentina, Egypt, Ethiopia, Iran, Saudi Arabia, and the UAE. And they're looking at maybe adding some others down the road. The theory being that uh, at some point, Chinese currency will be what all of those transactions are settled in. But here's the problem with all of that. These are all literally the least transparent and or most volatile of the industrialized nations when it comes to financial markets. So there's no way. Banking is a global fucking system at this point. There is no way that we are staring down an immediate future of having most of the world's transactions settled in anything other than the dollar, because for better, for worse, the U.S. economy is still the most stable and transparent economy on the planet. So we do talk a little bit about GDP and the size of, of you know, our economy. But it's really about the, the transparency and the fact that, as much of our, as our system is fucked and it's designed to oppress the masses, it is an unbelievably sophisticated and stable financial system that the world can bank on. And all you have to do is look at 2009 when we almost, you know, we cut our own throats and then immediately sewed it back up and didn't allow the entire world to fall into complete cataclysm. And our last submission, by the way, is something I'm calling What Does Not Lie Beneath. What goes up must come down unless it's water. There's a great investigation in the New York Times about how we are depleting the nation's water system from basically the nation's groundwater. So a lot of the water that we use to irrigate the the world, obviously, to irrigate the land comes from the aquifers below the surface. That's how the world works. That's how the planet operates. And there has been kind of an, an assumption, kind of a look the other way assumption that Well, every time it rains or you pour that water back into it, it just, you know, it goes back into the aquifers and we'll always have water because, you know, what goes up must come down. That's not the case. As a matter of fact, we are depleting a dangerous amount of the world, of our our country's water supply. And of course, this is playing out all over the world. But the New York Times focuses just on the U.S. economy. One of the big takeaways that I had from this article is that it's because it's one of the areas in the country that has zero federal oversight, none. It's just not something that we contemplated. So there's no regulatory body that's actually responsible for looking at this. And that's what makes this investigation so important. The one side note that I want to offer on that is in terms of media literacy. You know, when we talk about where we get our information, it's oftentimes we can be very critical of establishment media and the mainstream media. And this is why you have to be selective. The reason the New York Times is important is for pieces exactly like this. This is what it exists for. If you're looking to get a, a straight shot on foreign policy or our stance on Israel, for example, or, you know, how to feel about the the war between uh, Russia and Ukraine or some of the fear-mongering involved with what's going on in China, I don't look to The New York Times for that because I do believe that they have an establishment agenda. But when it comes to something like this, when there is no establishment agenda— the Times is amazing for stuff like this, and it's one of the reasons that you have such a well-funded uh, establishment mouthpiece doing this type of work. So kudos to them for that, but it does play into this idea of media literacy. You have to pick and choose the, the, the areas that you think these outlets do a good job on and that they don't you know, kind of have a a horse in the race.
1: Yeah. Did you see the uh, Ronan Farrow piece on Musk?
0: I haven't read it yet.
1: I got some way through of it, and then my thing was like, you need to subscribe, and I was, they paywalled oh. me in the middle. But um.
0: Wait, but where did it appear?
1: Something makes me want to say The Atlantic, but I don't know if that's true.
0: Farrow's written for... The New Yorker. For, oh, for The New Yorker. Okay. Yeah, I can't wait to dig into that. Do you Have you heard any upshot I mean, from it?
1: Yeah, I mean, I just... Apparently, it's... Well, what I read was about at the beginning was just about his involvement in the war in Ukraine and how inextricably linked he is and about his fucking phone calls to Putin and how, like, actual politicians and war correspondents have to consult with him like he's somebody. Because his Starlink system was keeping the Ukrainians in contact. And then, you know... Musk bait and switched and decided like maybe Putin has you know remember when he tweeted mm-hmm. his peace plan or whatever so that's that's you know I mean it's a very very like it, if you wanted to listen to it the article it was an hour long <laughs> just to listen to it so I only got like maybe a third of the way in um, so
0: that's about a quarter of show notes
1: <laughs> that's true yeah. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah I'm I mean I've only I've heard nothing but good things but I do think it's like through all of the pieces out there that are just self-congratulatory or someone's funding it like there are there is still good journalism happening
0: absolutely he might be a nepo
1: baby but he's doing good work
0: he might be frank sinatra's baby but he's doing good work
1: i added a new (laughs) sticker to the cabinet did you see it
0: (laughs) would you like me to say what it is yeah fuck woody allen
1: Mm -hmm. mm-hmm I went with my roommate to get a... She got a a new tattoo a couple weeks ago, and they just had those stickers. It was like, these are my people.
0: Hey, I have an AOC one that I can add. I got to put that in there.
1: I added a few new stickers, actually, but...
0: It's really coming together here.
1: Yeah. Mostly just breweries I go to. Nice. (laughs) And bands that I... My bands that I put on here.
0: Cabinets really coming together. Yeah. We can never show anybody this cabinet, though.
1: I mean, there's like... If we cover it up, one or two. Mm. (laughs) Or 4
0: It reveals too much.
1: Yeah. It's got my social security number on it. It's basically what it is.
0: Yep. Yep, (laughs) it does. And that's how I've been able to access all your bank accounts. And by the way, thank you. I don't know if everybody knows this, but um, (laughs) 99 is independently wealthy.
1: Oh, yeah. Big time. Yep. Arms dealer. Yeah. Funny, I just right? keep the dead around just so I look normal. That's
0: why she's so quiet when we talk about Saudi Arabia and arms dealing and stuff like that. Yeah, it's just not saying. at all
1: because I don't know what the fuck's going on. Just saying. <laughs> I feel like I've been on a different planet. I really do.
0: It's disorienting. I Being away from home, being away from, like, nesting. I always marvel at people who travel, like, weekly. I, I wouldn't be able to. I, I got to settle. I got to settle. I got to have my shit around me. I'm a yeah. big nester. Uh, or, or I feel even if I go away for like an overnight, I just my whole week falls apart. It's really tragic.
1: Yeah, I suppose. I mean, um, a lot of it is brain fog. Like I felt, I felt like ro- like my brain wasn't just couldn't click in mm-hmm. when I was like working. You know, because I would get in like a flow, and then I, it goes away because you you move. Yeah. But yeah, I really I feel like I haven't been present <laughs> on this plane.
0: Well, you're here now.
1: <laughs> Am I? Yeah. It might be disassociating.
0: Yeah. No, you're here now. You're very here now. Okay. Yeah.
1: If I start to float away, let me know.
0: Well, let's see how here you are. You want to get into emails?
1: Let's see if I can still read.
0: Okay. Because our first email is from Dan
1: H. Yeah. So this is a mixture of feedback, correct?
0: This is general feedback, yes. Okay.
1: So Dan H said, Hi, Max and UNFTR crew. Love the data-heavy economic prospectus this week. One question I'm learning to ask when it comes to stories like this, how confident are you about the accuracy of the data collected and shared in the economic indices? For example, some of the metrics were about consumer activity, confidence, and attitudes. How is that collected? Is anything based on surveys or polling? If yes, how representative are they? Are we confident that the categorization of manufacturing or non-defense activity actually captures everything or overrepresents it? Apologies if this information was in the blog post and references you provided. Haven't had a chance to dig in yet.
0: Amazing question. So the index that I think this question pertains to the most would be the Conference Board of Leading Indicators Index. That one, to me, I like for the reasons that I enumerated in in the piece, which is it's pretty widespread, gives you a wide look at the economy. And a lot of that is data driven. So you're talking about inventory levels. You're talking about actual manufacturing data. Talking about actual job growth or retraction, things like that. So very measurable numbers that are all coming from uh, from places that have been around for a long time. The stuff that's more nuanced or qualitative, which comes down to you know, like consumer confidence, those are polling metrics. What I like about it though is that it's a large enough sample set to be statistically significant, but also it's consistent, meaning that they're constantly referencing the same places. So when you talk, that's how they're able to to sense a shift in sentiment because they're constantly going to the same well of data and information. What tells me that the LEI, for example, is a quality index is its predictive capability. So when you go back over the last seven decades, it has accurately predicted and modeled the economic cycles. And so it's our best indicator, which I think they call it the leading indicator index of where we are in the economy. Now, it can't really tell you what's about to happen because there will always be anomalies in an economy, especially in this period, which was kind of the point of the article that we're coming out of post-pandemic. Nothing is as it was, so there's no there's no single metric that you can absolutely correlate to what's happened in the past. And so the blend is important, but this blend is widespread enough that I think it does give us some indicators as to whether there's gonna be slowdowns in certain sectors. The overarching point I was making about the Bidenomics piece, though, is that I do think that we are going to see the economy accelerate in the corporate class. Anybody that is in big business manufacturing, technology uh, renewable energy, or energy of all kind for that matter, I think is going to accelerate at a really rapid pace. My concern is for the small business and medium-sized business sectors that aren't going to be the beneficiaries of any of the stimulus funding over the next nine years. But in terms of the the indicators themselves, I do have a great amount of confidence in them. The other charts and graphs that that we shared, they're of significance because they're consistent over time. So it's not like we're picking and choosing any sort of, you know, anomalies out of there to say, hey, look at this one piece of information uh, that's never been tracked prior. So you can benchmark these against prior performance to know whether or not they're good. And then some of them are just, you know, quantitative analysis that are uh, absolute metrics like, you know, employment and manufacturing, uh, new housing starts and things like that. Uh, And I think that those are pretty defensible numbers across the board. So what gets nuanced is when they restate data down the road. So sometimes you'll see that when when they get ahead of employment figures, for example, they'll do public payrolls. So they'll go to ADP, as an example, or paychecks and these massive payroll providers, and they'll say, you know, give us what you you believe the data is going to be because they can see in, in real time slowdowns on data and there's an effort right now because there's there's so much technology available to us to access real-time data to kind of mix in real-time data like even some softer metrics like reservations at at restaurants like there's there's actually indices now that are being built around real-time actionable data on the ground where you could say Reservations dipped, and this became a, a big fad during the, the pandemic, as you can imagine. you know, Reservations dipped 20% this month over the same year, uh, over the same month last year. That's pretty actionable data, in my opinion. So you, I think you're going to see data even continue to improve uh, over time as they add these new nuanced metrics into it. But we're using some really tried and true stuff in, in the work that we're doing right now. But great question, and I appreciate it. Now, Lady Reverb said, great episode, Max. Hey, thanks. You asked at the end who you might like to see interviewed. And while I know he's really old, I was wondering if it would be at all possible to do an interview with Michael Parenti. He's such an amazing writer and it would fit right in with your current focus on socialism. Yeah, I've only dipped my toe into Parenti. I've watched a couple of his lectures. Um, But I'm not really familiar with his canon, as it were. So I appreciate that suggestion and I will dig more into it. And if I see more calls for Parente, I'll add it on the list. And uh, that means I'll have my my research cut out for me.
1: Dan M said this is austerity come home to roost. Financial capitalism will suck the vitality out of the American consumer, regardless of their party affiliation.
0: Dan M always has very, very concise and clear, punchy statements to make. And I, I appreciate that. James Q said, this was so great. Max, you and Franny Fio had a great rapport. I found her in those AJ days on Newsbroke. She is so good. I really agree. I, and I think I had, I don't know where I said I maybe in post-show musings that she made it so easy because she's such a professional and so prepared. And it's hard to be funny and prepared when you don't know what's coming at you. It's a real gift. And you can tell that she's very trained in front of the camera and in front of the microphone. And that's why I think, you know, she's I've seen her on so many different shows and she always elevates the show when she's on it. So the the trick is going to be when we get really wonky and we get with people that are maybe antagonistic to some of our viewpoints and things like that, that's when it's going to be fun and that's when it's going to be a huge challenge for me.
1: No, we only Uh, have confirmation
0: bias. Yeah. Oh, there's going to be mostly confirmation bias until I feel really, really comfortable uh, doing these interviews. But uh, (laughs) she made it really easy for me and I, I appreciate her. And it was just great to hang with her. Great to meet her.
1: And then Shawnee said, great highlight of how corporate actors hijack what could be a good thing just to protect their profit margins.
0: Yes, talking about stealing all of the profits out of our pockets and putting it into theirs in the Bidenomics episode. Terry McEll said, have loved you both for a long time. And thank you. Talking about Franny, of course.
1: You did a great job organizing
0: these I set up top that these are we're making it for two. I tried to keep it interesting.
1: Um, Knudsen said this unfucker will be checking into Frantifa.
0: I'm a member of Frantifa. Are you? No. So you can't talk about it, right? That's how you know 99's a true member of Frantifa because you never admit to it. That's right. Pork Fluff said, Max, Francesca, Matt Lieb, Robert Evans, my dream of a UNFTR plus behind the Bastards team up feels like it's getting closer. Uh, I think Matt is Francesca's husband, if I'm not mistaken. And uh,
1: let's get your wife on here. <laughs> a
0: lot of people thought that I was Robert Evans when we first started the podcast, which, which is pretty funny.
1: Yeah, it still blows my mind because you sound nothing alike. Yeah,
0: I don't he hear it at like all. Patton Oswalt. He, he wow, good call.
1: <laughs> Every time I listen, I'm deep like, cut. this is Patton.
0: <laughs> oh, deep cut. I like it.
1: And then lastly, we have Ricky, the gardening dragon. Franny, Fio, and UNFTR together. My lefty heart just swelled.
0: I'm glad you dug it. Thank you, everybody, for uh, for the feedback and for showing that uh, episode some love. We appreciate it. Now, getting into some general feedback, Snail Powered kicks it off with I was recently listening to Dan Carlin's six-hour podcast, The Celtic Holocaust. Have you ever listened to Dan Carlin?
1: I I mean, who has the
0: time? <laughs> I don't. Snail Powered.
1: Just, oh, just recently. Hence like, the name Snail was doing, Powered. Like a fucking trans- <laughs> Atlantic flight. For seven hours, like, I, woohoo.
0: It's, it's it's really, it's remarkable dedication. Yeah. Snell says he realized, uh, they realized how my entire life has paralleled Caesar's expansion of Rome at this time. The many different ways that Caesar used this manufacturing crisis to further his own ambition stuck with me as an innovation that's been repeated countless times since six hours is a lot of podcasts to sit through but I also think you'd really enjoy it and get something from it if you're thinking about it in this lens also I'd love to see Carlin on phone a friend there you go there's a submission for for Dan Carlin
1: do you have energy for six a six hour interview
0: no no definitely <laughs> not um even though sometimes show notes feels like it well wow. thank you for the show
1: drag me <laughs> it's not dragging you sometimes I'm the one that feels like it. <laughs>
0: Now, whose, whose fault do you think it is that these drag on? Is that a me thing or is that a 99
1: thing? I mean, I do interrupt you a lot. With...
0: You make it fun. You make <laughs> it actually engaging for people. <laughs> but who drones on and on? Manny. Oh, Got him. Maybe like, fuck that. Uh, well, thank you for the show. Can't wait for the next episode. I'll be raising my membership level soon because you guys are awesome. That is very nice of you. FMF, FDJT, and FTO. Fuck the oligarchy. Mm-hmm. I like it.
1: We have we heard from Lola H, who said, much appreciate the show, suggested guest, Professor Bill Mitchell, University of Newcastle, re-sovereign currency issuing government, U.S., U.K., Australia, Japan, etc. Most of these governments tell fictions about running out of money. Why? Because they like to please their oligarch, ma- oligarch, <laughs> their oligarch masters by imposing unnecessary austerity on we the people.
0: Uh, That's so interesting that we got a Bill Mitchell suggestion, and nobody's mentioned Stephanie Kelton yet. Hmm. How about that? Uh, but I like it. University. Where is University of Newcastle, by the way?
1: That sounds Canadian.
0: Canadian or UK?
1: Or Australian?
0: University of Newcastle. Uh, oh, it's Australia. High Maybe it was
1: my second guess.
0: Oh, or no, it could be England. Uh, okay.
1: How many Newcastles are there?
0: Let's see. Bill Mitchell, Newcastle.
1: What if we interview uh, Bill Walton?
0: Finland. What oh. the fuck? Wait. Okay. Oh, South Wales. Okay, oh shit. Cool. Wait. Australia. And God damn it. <laughs> maybe they're in a school. Australia.
1: Oh, it's like full-sale university.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it's just like that. <laughs> <laughs> uh All right. Well, first of all, I got to find out which country <laughs> this man is from and then I'll dig into it. Uh Tom D said you should have a phone conversation with Anna Kasparian. Chris Hedges, Jeffrey Sachs, Matt Desmond, to name a few. Who's Matt Desmond? I don't know who Matt Desmond is. No idea. Uh, yeah, J- Jeffrey Sachs, just so you know, is uh, certainly bucket list. Uh, Chris Hedges I've quoted so often that um, I think I could ask and answer a lot of the questions. <laughs> and uh, Anna Kasparian's actually contributed to our show early, early on. When God, what was that that, that she was helped the us f- with?
1: Episode 23, Fuck Milton Friedman.
0: Was that the FMF one? Mm-hmm. Look at you digging it from Deep Cut.
1: I was watching the Theranos like dramatization series, The Dropout, and um, I they played a clip and they didn't show it. And I was like, that was Anna Kasparian, I know it. And then later I w- was on YouTube and I found the exact interview. And I was like, that's because we pulled so many fucking clips. Yeah. That I just knew her voice immediately. Man, damn.
0: Yeah, I like all those suggestions. I think it'd be a lot of fun. And you know what? What's great about it is, and I don't know Matt Desmond, my apologies, so I will uh, look that person up. But uh, Kasparian, Hedges, sachs they all have controversial takes, which uh, would, I, again, I would put them in the bucket of super challenging. They are all unbelievably practiced and unbelievably smart. And I think that those would be, uh, if we're going to level up here and I'm going to, you know, get to the next level with uh, interviewing skills, they would be remarkable. So good stuff.
1: Pastor Tim weighed in and said, oh, I was just going to say, so I even have to call bullshit on your protestations. Is that how you say that? Protestations. Protestations. Your protesticles that to the (laughs) contrary or concede that you just got lucky twice. But your interviewing skills do not seem to be nearly as questionable as you made out as you prepped us for the friend episodes. They're both outstanding. So just admit it and move on. You got skills.
0: That's very kind. But also, these are home games. Truly.
1: Yeah, but even someone who's a bad interviewer can, you know, be a bad interviewer with people. I,
0: You know, I want to deliver some real meat to this, you know, to this thing. And that means, like people have suggested, like, you know, you better put some people from the other side on on the other side and not be afraid of it. And so, yeah, got to do it. Got to do it. I'll get there. God damn it.
1: Well, they're all complimenting you. So no, I know, no, I know, I know, <laughs> this is,
0: I know. I'm just, I'm very insecure about this. Oh, so.
1: cutie. Yeah. So then Pastor Tim said, I thought that both of you bounced well with each other, engaging with what the other was talking about without overriding them or not advocating for your own points. Nice demonstration of the craft of interviewing. Now can we get back to episodes where we kick a little motherfucking ass? In the blessed and holy name of Nettie McGee, <laughs> go find folks and let's make this world just a bit better. FMF. F-R-R.
0: My favorite pastor ever.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Fun. Uh, now, Will, hold for it. I am William Wallace. Watkins gave us a really long email, and I'm only going to read a little bit of it, but it's so fucking good that I just want to want to roll it around for a little bit. So here it goes. Ready? I'm constantly thinking about the random service worker working at a truck stop off I-40, or the farm worker in South Dakota, or the data entry specialist at the new office park in the suburbs. Or the person who had to quit their job or leave the workforce because their spouse suffered a medical incident that left them disabled and needed a full-time caretaker. All of these people have a place in our coalition, and we need to have more focus on bringing them into solidarity with us rather than spending too much time and energy flogging those that already are. To me, leftist principles boil down to consensus, cooperation, mutual aid and benefit, shared resources, transparency and accountability, solidarity and compassion... From the top to the bottom These are admirable and aspirational values In my opinion It's what makes our movement different from theirs Let's focus on bringing more people in Defeating fascistic forces Than perfecting the society and world We all want to live in Shoulder to shoulder with you, Will Watkins Wow Isn't he a wonderful writer? Yeah Just terrific And a
1: great artist
0: And a great artist, yeah um,
1: Multi-hyphenate
0: The 99 piece, Mm. right, is from him
1: Yes. I mean, it's not technically me. It's just, it's a...
0: Looks just like you, sword and all.
1: <laughs> yeah, it looks just like me.
0: <laughs> it's how you appear in the mind's eye.
1: Hey, I'm whoever, that's the whole point. That's right. I don't, I you don't perceive me, so I'm all.
0: <laughs> Will, I'm just going to leave that email there because you said it so beautifully. So thank you.
1: So we heard from Elena S. So this is not Elena S. in the Facebook group.
0: Yes. And the first part is my note.
1: Okay. So Alina said, wait, oh, so you.
0: Sorry. Yeah, I was it was writing a note that uh, we, it, we'd reached out to her because the storms were actually going through uh, the part of Mexico that she lives in. So um, we were just checking in and actually she was marked safe from the terrible storms that ran up along the coast. And uh, we just wanted to thank her for letting us know she sheltered down with her puppies, That's which was really, really cute. And uh, they weren't too afraid oh, of the thunder. Poor
1: babies. Yeah. I saw an in a Instagram post, it said, like, pray for Florida. And I was like, what What, which, what am I praying for? <laughs> oh,
0: yeah, what <well>, now? <laughs> Salvation?
1: <laughs> um, but, okay, so Elena's response to you was, 36 years of neoliberal government imposed in Mexico by the United States has empowered an extremely right-wing racist oligarchy, more money in the hands of the few, and more poverty for the population. I've said oligarchy like 40 times today. It's the buzzword. Neoliberalism was imposed in Mexico through fraudulent elections and efforts of the U.S. government and the Mexican oligarchy who has never identified with this country anyway. That's why I refer to the process as neocolonialism.
0: Yeah, so Elena wound up giving us multiple examples from banks and railroads to telecommunications and airlines to illustrate this point. I think neocolonialism is a term that uh, that I've seen used in, in, with respect to Latin America and uh, the whole of Africa as well. And I have a couple of books that I want to dig into on neocolonial models. So anyway, great hearing from you, Elena, and glad you are safe. Now, the chaotic socialist said, Max, you asked for a guest request to interview. You should collaborate with Sam Cedar. I think that would be a great interview on Phone a Friend. Yeah, you know what I would love to talk to Sam Cedar about is his knowledge of the law. That's one of the things that impresses me the most because when he really goes deep into a lot of the Supreme Court cases, he he has a great memory for a lot of that stuff. And, and one of the things I enjoy about watching Majority Report is he will bring in references that are because he and I are probably of a similar age references that deep cuts that are that are important to me and then his staff like 99 brings in a lot of current references that um, sometimes he's like, I don't even know what you're talking about, but it's <laughs> great and it, they so they they put it together in a really interesting way that that resonates I think with a with a, a wide demographic. Uh, but, yeah, I'd love to talk to Sam Cedar. That would I, be awesome.
1: I would wager they've never said shart on their show. <laughs> so I don't know if I'm bringing the same type of content, but it's something. Um, okay, so we got our last two comments. We have one from Joseph R., who votes for David Pakman for Phone a Friend. Yeah, I would love that. Seems like a no-brainer. Yeah, if you and, haven't seen
0: him on Lex Friedman's podcast, check it out. He did about a two-and-a-half-hour interview with Lex Friedman hmm. where they went pretty deep on a lot of different political issues. It was great.
1: Nice. And then Ben Wright voted for Mark Blythe. Uh, might be interesting, but I'll listen to Shrek talk macroeconomics any day.
0: I also don't know Blythe. So, again, I love all of these suggestions. It really helps me uh, expand my knowledge base. So thanks for that. Don't get uh, Now, over on the Facebooks, Ricky M. said, whenever I hear someone saying how great the economic outlook is or talking about what the government is doing is working, all I can think is the numbers are not real life. We're out here on the ground living through it, and it sucks. Just because it isn't getting much worse does not mean it's getting better. And having the talking heads and centrists tell us that it's not that bad will not make our day-to-day lives any better. It won't help us have a plan for retirement or fix the climate crisis. Uh, Yes to all of that, and I hope I made that point well enough that the right is correct. And I I wish we didn't have such a polarized media landscape because— so much of the punditry on the left was just like, this is the best economy ever. It was actually one of the only pitchfork economics that I did not enjoy was uh, mm. recently when they were talking about the and I and I actually understand where Goldie and Nick were coming from on on that show because they had one of the establishment mouthpieces from the Biden administration on to talk about listen, you got it. You can't look at this in isolation. You have to look at this against the rest of the world. And remember where we were a couple of years ago because we tend to have amnesia about how bad things were. So if you're just going to look strictly through a competitive lens, we are—we really are absolutely killing it. But they really didn't talk – they sort of glossed over the effects on the ground and then didn't talk about something that they've talked about a lot. They just didn't hold this particular guest to account. They didn't talk about how we had the money to be okay. It was in our bank accounts and they fucking swept them out. I mean, they, they just, they literally, corporate America literally took the security blanket from the American people and it could have been so much better. And then of course, we got cold feet in terms of the stimulus funding and, and how we wanted to direct that funding and a couple of the programs that weren't extended and it really put a hurt on people. So now we're back to where we were. In the capitalist system though, that is how it has to be. You can't have people too comfortable but you also can't have people too indigent as well. And capitalism is brilliant at doing one thing, if nothing else. And it's keeping people right there on the precipice. That's its job. That And that's by design, by the way. So these are the things that I, that I was hoping to tease out. It's not that the right is wrong. and It's not that the left is wrong. They all have facts to stand on. But at the core, the real narrative here is it's all by design. If we are secure and stable then we won't agitate for any change and if we are over the edge we will agitate too much for change. They want us right there in the middle, never knowing what's going to happen next There's some great analogies in Socialism Part 5 by the way, uh, and I know I'm droning on about it because it's it's just I'm so much in the thick of it but one of the things that was apparent to me over, over time is that the reason that Socialist movements and uprisings Did not take There's a bunch of reasons for it But one of the reasons that socialist movements Did not take hold as firmly As it looked like they could In certain times Is that And this holds true for the United States as well That on the precipice of, of like real wins There would be these quick recoveries In the U.S. economy Or in global economies There would be a good harvest You know Just people had food so food on the table. Maybe they had a job. Uh, maybe there was some innovation that improved people's lives. There would be something, something appreciable that changed. And to Ricky's point here, it was it, it changed in their house. It changed on their table. It changed in their pockets, just enough to say, "Fuck! I really, I hear you, but I, I, I just want to hold everything where it is right now." And it's when that stuff disappears. That you can't just overwrite that like the Democrats are by saying, yeah, but we're doing better than everybody else. Mm-hmm. That doesn't – you can't have people that insecure and say, oh, yeah, but they're doing better over there. And at the same time, the Republicans are – are you know that they're waiting. They're just waiting for shit to get even worse and worse and worse because right now they're the only alternative. So that's that's the history of politics is just voting for the alternative based upon what's on your dinner table.
1: Right. I feel this feels relevant, economy-based, but uh, so my car lease was up, and Oof. I'm sorry to everybody, but I I leased another car. I'm not in a financially a good enough financial position to buy my car outright. Okay, I'm sorry. I know people were anti-lease. But
0: not everybody was, if you remember.
1: No, yeah, but there I feel like okay. the majority was, but I gotta I gotta do what I gotta do right now, you know, just trying to survive. Yeah. Um, and my payment went up like almost $150 for the same car, just a newer model, but like not a luxury, you know, like it doesn't even have fucking automatic like, my seat is a lever. It doesn't oh, this is a separate gripe. They removed the push button start. So now I have to use a key. For real? <laughs> yes. I wonder why every time. And I can't there's no button on my door to unlock it. I have to take my key out like it's the 2000s, like it's the early aughts. Isn't that weird? Why would they do that in the
0: newest model?
1: Yes. Isn't that awful?
0: It's really weird.
1: Yeah. My dad was like, it's a safety feature. And I said, you made that up. (laughs) There's no evidence.
0: I don't even want to I don't I don't even want to guess
1: they're just trying to torture me. I'd
0: really like to know actually why that is. That, that, cause that seemed like a pretty solid event. Maybe so many people were locking their keys in their cars at like car no, washes. It, it, I don't know.
1: My car, be- my car was great. It beeped. You can't, like, if my keys were, even if I was just getting out, like, you know, I might get out and might go around to grab my backpack, like, it would beep to let me know, and the doors wouldn't lock. There's just no, I can't think of anything. Maybe
0: maybe this one was made during the time that nobody could get a microchip. Maybe right? like, you know. Really, really interested to know.
1: There's also I mean I know there's like a specific model of Honda. Like I think the CRVs were really easy to break into. Now I don't drive a Honda, but like maybe it was a similar thing. I don't know, but it's driving me nuts because every time I get in the car, I'm like, <laughs> you know.
0: Right now, Dan M is losing his. Oh mind. yeah, I'm you so know that, sorry, right?
1: but. So my car payment goes up like almost $150, which I was like, I'm trying to like wheel and deal. And I said, like, I don't know if I can afford this. My dad who's supposed to play bad cop. This is unrelated. He goes, you can afford it. I go, what are you here for? (laughs) Whatever. Like This is your one job is supposed to make him feel. I'm trying to be a sad little girl who can't pay her car bill. Okay. Not helping. But the guy was like, look, you know, it's a three year lease. You just have to wait. It's going to be cheaper next lease. He said, we just need to get any new president in. And then your car will be cheaper next time. He did not. Yes, he said that. And I was like, uh, 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 I don't like because I was like, I don't know this. He could mean anything by it. Technically, probably meant not a Democrat based on what I gathered. I know his whole life story because I was there for 40 hours. But um, yeah, so like. You know, he's telling me just pay it for 3 years and then don't worry it'll be cheaper next time. And I'm like, that doesn't fucking help me. So, I don't know. I felt like that's a relevant anecdote to what's to literally what we're do, what we're talking about and how we feel.
0: That is a substantial amount of additional money.
1: Yeah. My my car payment was under $300 for and which was like fair, you know. Plus I don't even like my new car, if I have to be honest.
0: But this is this is the death by a thousand cuts that most Americans are experiencing right now. And again, I get it. It's better than other places. Fine, but we're not other places. And that's not going to be the winning political narrative. Who's to blame for all of this, you know, in the back half of an initial term with a divided Congress? That's why I said in the piece, like, it's a wrap. We got what we got right now. And I get that. But it also mystifies me because Again, they have access to the same data. They knew. They knew when the when the child payments stopped that people would that children would return to poverty. They knew it. Even if that was the one issue that the whole of the Democratic Party stood up and said, time out. This or or we fucking nuke it all, they could have gotten it through. And Republicans would have been hard-pressed to kind of fight that. That would have been pretty bad optics in yeah. the purple states. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's what I don't get. And
1: even in a lot of the red states, that's I'm sure. Yeah,
0: that's what I don't get. Does that help your situation out as as a single person with no children to get, you know, that's not getting that money? No.
1: I would still feel better, though. It would make me feel a little happier. But it would
0: help out a lot of other people <laughs> yeah. as well. Yeah. Is there, Was there an issue with, I mean, listen, that leased car today that you just got— is less expensive than what it would have been six months ago, and then less expensive than a year ago. That doesn't help either. Yeah,
1: they're still taking me to the cleaners. Yeah,
0: that doesn't help either. It's just, it's all got to come up. And when you know that we have the money to do it, and we have the bandwidth and the wherewithal, it just makes it that much more frustrating. And if the Democrats think that they can sail in on the narrative that, but at least it's better than Italy, they're fucking wrong. They're dreaming, you know? And, and I also don't think that they can sail in on the narrative that it's better than Italy and we're better than fascists. <laughs> that worked the last time because Trump was so fucking present in everybody's mind and everybody was so stressed out. And it was at the tail end of a pandemic that if even Republicans who were being honest and being real with themselves knew he fucked up and murdered people with his response. So there was enough of that that was so so present in the electorate that Biden went to victory. Well, he's four years gone now, but in the news every day, and he's going to win this fucking nomination and it's going to be a battle. And there's just enough people on the Republican side that I think will be prison curious to see what would happen, because if the guy wins election, they got to commute his sentence, bring him into the office, and then he's going to pardon himself. It's a pretty fucking clear path. I know people want to make it out to be more confusing than it is. But if he's the nominee, the best thing that could happen to him is that he runs from prison.
1: Yeah. The thing that I, you know, I just assumed because it it sounds it's like a farce. It's like, of course, he can't really run from prison. But then when I was listening to this late podcast and they said Vivek's numbers aren't that high. But like theoretically, he, he claims that he'll or he's not claims. He says he'll pardon Trump if he gets in. And it's like the idea right. that, you know, I don't, so, I'm so not would worried DeSantis. about him coming. Exactly. So
0: they were, they all would. And then Ex- it's just maybe just like, not
1: Christine. <laughs> everything's moot. Then you know, right. like all the progress we've made yeah. to try to get some justice and restore natural balance to the world, yeah. and that that scared me. And
0: but to think that he can't win from prison, I think is is a dangerous assumption to make as well. You know.
1: I think you need to do a mini. And just talk about—I don't know if you're covering it, but you got to talk about the Debs campaign. We've Got to do a side by side. Very. So we got to like chart oh, them side
0: by side. We could do that. Yeah, we're, we're covering th- the Debs campaign from his fourth campaign, which happened to be from prison. But yeah. yes, we're covering all of that as well.
1: Do you think he even I, re- knows that someone else has done it?
0: Who's this Eugene?
1: <laughs> Let me find him.
0: <laughs> what is this? I'll Dubs- silence him. <laughs> yes. Um, did I tell you my nightmare scenario about uh, of who Trump would pick for his running mate?
1: No, can I guess? Yeah, Joey Fatone.
0: I'm sorry. Who and 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 that is from Insync. Oh wow. Um, yeah. Well, that's a nightmare scenario. It's not my top nightmare scenario. Guy Fieri. Oh uh, nope.
1: Oh, Joe Rogan. No. Who is it? RFK. Ugh, don't say that.
0: It's my nightmare scenario. He drops out on the Democratic line and then picks up on on Trump's line.
1: My boyfriend Stephen Webber, mm-hmm. Dr. Archer, mm-hmm. he had a picture tagged with a picture with Cheryl Hines. I think they were just at an event, like for a charity. But I was like, I don't it, oh, like that. Oh, oh. <laughs> She's a pariah <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> now. Get away from her.
0: Yeah, that's my nightmare.
1: That sounds awful.
0: It sounds awful because and the
1: voices on the two of them.
0: Oh God! The skits. Right. Yeah, that would be. <laughs>
1: it's the only mm, upside. It is.
0: That's pretty good. Uh, How do you think I did with uh, RFK? By the way, great. Was it okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Nobody commented on my Giuliani, which I think was, like, it was like having him in the oh, studio because
1: they couldn't see the ink drips.
0: My Trump is so bad, though.
1: I like it. Uh, now it's just bad.
0: But my, I think my Giuliani's spot on. Um,
1: Maybe people don't really know what he sounds like. It might be the problem.
0: It could be. Yeah, it could be. Just New Yorkers. Yeah. Yeah,
1: well, niche all however million of us.
0: Yeah, there's only 8 million of us. See, RFK satisfies the conspiratorial elements of the far left and the far right and steals, I think, a lot of thunder from people who would have been Bernie swing voters and brings them right back into Trump's camp. And he's got the Kennedy name and my bigger issue with that would be Kennedy's appeal to the black community because his name is Kennedy because there's one of the great heroes in the and I'll call it the mainstream black electorate would be RFK the the senior so just that tie to it alone makes me really nervous I'm sure Manny can expound on that as well but I don't know I don't know why I can't stop thinking about it because if if you're just thinking like, what's the most Machiavellian thing that Steve Bannon could do because he is running, you know, that side of the the campaign? I think it would be a fucking stroke of genius and it would be unbelievably dangerous. And I think there's some leftists that would be like, eh, and yeah, maybe
1: Speaker Fuck of the it. House Marianne Williamson.
0: Oh my god, it's like the
1: Monstars <laughs> It's just Space Jam.
0: I don't know what that is Space Jam Yeah
1: You don't know what Space Jam is I didn't
0: see Space Jam So I don't know who the Monstars are
1: It's the bad team Oh They're monsters I get it It's their basketball team
0: Oh It's a pretty good name actually Yeah right?
1: Um. Anyway
0: So that's my That's my nightmare scenario
1: Well thanks for putting that in my head
0: You're welcome As if, as if
1: I don't Have <laughs> trouble sleeping enough
0: Um, And then uh, Oh wh- Where did we end here
1: Danji We're up, we're we're up, up to Danji Go ahead Max and team, that sketch was hilarious. Oh, there you go. Thank you. Yeah. It's been a while, well worth the wait as a lover of theater and improv nerd, a champion of the classic radio drama, and just great satire. This hit all the marks. I won't give much away as people should go and listen. When Mitch McConnell spoke, I lost it.
0: (laughs) So the McConnell thing was fine in my mind and on the page. And then there was Manny actually turning him off and then turning him on. And that's the, there's so many little nuances if you listen to the skits in, in headphones, it's even it's even more apparent what Manny does with the nuances with these skits. But they're, again, if you heard them dry, they're not that great. But what he does to them, just fucking amazing.
1: They are fun to be in the studio for, especially when there's a group laugh, because you just go, ha, 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 ha,
0: ha, 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 ha. <laughs> It's unsettling. <laughs> it's really bad. Uh, and rounding it out from the Facebooks, Bobby McD, Max, couple phone friend suggestions. Jay Tomlinson goes without saying. He's the man. I wonder if Jay would commit to actually appearing and having his face shown. Jay is not one for being in front of anything. He is a behind-the-scenes person.
1: I get it. Jay
0: Tomlinson, best of the left, who has been doing this for more than 15 years. The OG, without whom we are not. Shout out to Jay. Shout out to Amanda. Thanks to the best of the left team for putting us on the map. His next suggestion is Dan Miller. It's swage. While Brad is the main voice of the show, Dan is so fucking insightful and smart. That's true too. David McWilliams, I dare you. I fucking double dare you. It would rock. I think it would take me a while to actually get McWilliams on the show. My man's booked all over the fucking world. He's constantly traveling. He's a pretty big deal in Ireland too. Um, but that I think it would be it would be it'd be a lot of fun. Heather McGee, she's amazing. Her book is amazing. And Dahlia Lithwick. Is simply the best. Now, Dahlia is somebody that uh, Bobby McDee has written in about uh, to me a couple of times before, and I've now I've watched her a few times, and she is, uh, she is a marvel. And I that's one who I'd have to be prepared. But I also have to really think about what we would want to discuss um, to make sure that we're getting the most out of it. Uh, and then it says Adam Kinzinger. I don't disagree. Adam Kinzinger would be great. Uh, it'd be a lot of fun. I don't know what he's doing in his new life outside of Congress, by the way. So, interesting. And now rounding it out, we've got some donations. Nathan Sirst bought us three coffees. Thank you for awarding the longtime listeners with your pre-show skit. I've missed that as part of the show. By the way, this is one of your best episodes in a long time. I anticipated an episode on Bidenomics to be a completely disappointing bashing of Biden on the tail of the Republican debate, helping turn more against Biden when we need to beat the Republicans more than ever before. But the episode was a pleasant surprise with its fair representation of the full story. Great research once again. Thank you, Nathan Sirst. As you know, that type of uh, that type of feedback from you really does mean the world. Uh, and then, of course, as we mentioned up top, just want to thank Glenn S. for upgrading the membership to an over-freaking-caffeinated membership that's huge for us. Memberships is how we get this done. It's how we take some stress and pressure off of 99 and get her in the studio more often. So keep the memberships coming. We appreciate you.
1: I'm going to launch a new tier. That's my exact car payment.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> Hey, full disclosure, everybody, if you made it this far, and this is something we're going to talk about when we get into our fall fundraiser, we are only still somewhere around 320 members to the show. We've been doing this for a long time. We are extraordinarily grateful to all of the people that have stepped up to take memberships. People come, people go. Financial situation's change. It's been more of a squeeze the last couple of years. We totally get it. But- this doesn't become a, a real thing where we can add additional resources and really start to take it to the next level until we get to 1,000 members. Just is what it is. Again, I'm a patient dude. I'm willing to wait. But any support would be greatly appreciated. We'll talk more about it when we get to the fall fundraiser. Uh, but why don't we... Um, we had two new reviews, by the way. One was from Recycled Grandma and the other from Ant Proof Case. I can't read what they said because 99 has access to that and I didn't have it when I put this together. But they're both five stars. That much I can see, and I just wanted to thank you both for uh, for helping us continue to get found on the podcast apps. And that is it for the formal part of the show. Ninety nine. Anything else you want to add?
1: Ah, uh, Britney Spears is getting divorced. Who? Britney Spears. Brittany
0: Spears. Yeah. Oh,
1: it's okay. I think her husband was using her. Okay. Yeah. What else? Was it
0: Kevin Federline?
1: Yes, it was Kevin Federline.
0: It wasn't, was no, it? No,
1: that's like t- two husbands ago oh. and like t- twenty years.
0: Oh, so they didn't stay together? That didn't pan out?
1: No, he's d bag, and he took her kids. Oh, yeah, which is wrong because she was a good mom, and then he claimed she was unfit, but like she cared so much about her children. So, uh, I think I don't know. Can't I can't think of anything? We're good to go. Uh, yeah.
0: All right, Manny. <laughs> if you want to leave final words, leave them.
1: Yeah. Why not? And the best actor Oscar goes to Manny Faces.
0: Alright. Okay. Until later next time until next time later. Until some other time. Okay. Bye.
1: Bye.